Hey friends, I want to tell you something. Black is beautiful. Black is love. It can be seen 365 days a year, 24-7, and Target is here for all of it. And so am I. Where my Target mama's at? Black Beyond Measure is Target's year-round campaign that celebrates and elevates the spectrum of Black love and success. From the multitude of commitments and investments in the Black community to supporting HBCU students and uplifting Black entrepreneurs, like myself. Shop Black-owned or founded brands at Target, from home decor and candles to beauty, wellness products, and so much more. Surround yourself in joy and amplify your Black love with the help of the Black-owned and founded brands at Target every day. Visit Target.com slash BlackBeyondMeasure to learn more. Hi, friends. Welcome back. You're listening to Parenting for the Culture on the Black Love Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sheree Sims, and today I'm doing something a little bit different. I know that as parents, we often look to other parents for wisdom, tips, tricks, and advice. And y'all know I'm an advocate for making space for children to be heard, but I think it is just as important to talk to the children who have grown up to be successful adults and learn from them about their experiences with their parents that led to get them to where they are today. So today I am so excited to have our guest. She is an entrepreneur. She's a journalist. She's a wellness advocate through her platforms like Transparent and Black. And she's also the managing editor of Black Love Inc. And one of this year's McDonald's Future 22. And I want to learn what what that is. And I'm so excited about it. Um, But help me welcome Yasmin Jamila. Thank you so much for being here. And tell me if I missed anything in your introduction, because we want to know all about you. (laughs) You did not. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me, what is a McDonald's Future 22? So McDonald's uh, with Future 22 has a network called Positively Golden. And so through that, they have chosen 22 game changers, changing the world in their own way in different industries. And so I was one of the 22 people that was chosen. And it was such an honor. It's the first time they've done something like this. And um, it was just really amazing to be, you know, around so many people that have, you know, just like impacted the industries in various ways. Um, Not just myself, but there are people that have been on, you know, the stock market and in finance and uh, and uh, fashion, just so many different lanes. So it was such an honor to be a part of that project. And it is definitely uh, one of the biggest highlights of, of this year. Yes, I love that. That's so amazing. Congratulations on that. That is really major. And I love I love that McDonald's sees you and found you and can highlight you because it's definitely needed. And I think a lot of times the people that our people need to see highlighted, they're not always found and seen and recognized. So I'm so glad that they see you and recognize you and highlight you for all of us to benefit from. Um, so we, we do something here called the peak and pit of our day. It's something that I do with my children every night at the dinner table. It gives me a window into their day. It opens up conversation. So I wanted to start our episode with the peak and pit of our day. And I can go first. The The peak of my day is just waking up this morning. Like, it's a good morning. I'm happy to be awake. <laughs> the pit of my day is when I was trying to turn on my AC, I dropped my venti size pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> and I'm a coffee lover, so I'm sad about that. But If that's the pit of my day, then I I guess I'm having a pretty good day because I can get more coffee. But tell us about the peak and pit of your day today. Yeah, sure. So typically uh, the peak of my day um, is normally on a a calm day. It's the same. It's waking up, having iced coffee because I'm a coffee lover as well. 
and watching my mom's devotional because my mom's a, is a, is a pastor. And I'd say for today, the pit of my day, um, probably a little bit of cramps, uh, like menstrual cramps, I'd say. But I mean, if that's like you said, if that's the pit of my day, then it's it's been a good day. So not good. And I feel you, girl, we on the same cycle. We both over here. <laughs> wow. Now, Yasmin, you just said that your mom was a pastor. And I did want to start with finding out from you a little bit about how you were raised and what your childhood looked like, how your parents raised you and nurtured you and supported you. Can you tell us a little bit about how you were raised? Sure, sure. So first, it sounds so weird to talk about like your childhood in a past tense because some days I still feel like a kid, but I'm almost 30. So I, I guess not. Um, my, my childhood was, uh, was, was beautiful. It, it definitely had, you know, like highs and lows, you know, like, like anyone's right. And things that, you know, we're all still healing from, but, uh, my parents, you know, raised me to be individuals. And I think the beauty of them both, you know, being so young when they had me, my mother uh, was 20. Um, she'd like to say she was 21 because she turned 21 this month, but she was 20. And um, my father was a 24. And, um, you know, so watching them, you know, grow and change as a different people, uh, it really allowed me from a very young age to know that it was okay to, you know, start new chapters, dream new dreams. Uh, when, I, when my parents met each other, you know, they were both very young. And so uh, when they were together, I was being raised Muslim, hence my name, Yasmin Jamila. Uh, and when I was about three or four years old, they broke up. My mother became Christian again because she was raised in a Christian home. A few years after that, uh, she became a minister and then she became a pastor. Uh, and my father was a devout Muslim um, up until a few years ago. And so that experience in itself, my parents, they raised me to be free thinkers. They never pushed any either or religion on me. They allowed me to be exposed to both religions and then decide for myself. And so that was really, um, really, really cool, really liberating. And um, they just allowed for me to be me. You know, they definitely had opinions about what they thought my life would look like. My mother more so, you know, just being a woman and, you know, feeling like, you know, I should be a lady and, you know, all of the, you know, other things. But um, but she was also still very aware that she was raising a free spirit. She talks all the time about how she knew that I was different from the moment that I was born. She said that I looked her right in her eyes when I was born and that babies usually don't do that, apparently. That children don't, you know, I guess, give you uh, direct eye contact. But she has said over and over that when I came out, I looked straight at her and she knew that I was going to be a very different child. And, uh, and I was. And um, it's been a beautiful journey with my parents. Um, I think that, like I said, with them being so young, I was able to see so many different sides of them. And so now to see who they are, I think I'm still learning my parents, right? I'm still discovering them because they've grown as people just as I have. And um, I would say that my, my childhood has been, and uh, I guess to sum it up, that it was beautiful. You know, I, I definitely think that there were, uh, you know, things, of course, that I, that I wish would have been different, as I'm sure they would have also. You know, they always did their best, even in the, the most, you know, dangerous situations that, that, I, that they found themselves in or, you know, that I was in with them to protect me and shield me as, you know, as much as they could. And so I'm you know, always appreciative of that. And that I got to see them both, you know, uh, go after the things that were that were passionate, you know, for them and things that they really, you know, valued. That's beautiful. I think it's so sweet when your mom has a story about you from birth. Like, girl, I saw you at birth. <laughs> you looked me in the eyes and I knew you were different. And that's such a beautiful story to hold on yeah. to. Did she tell you that when you were young? Did you grow up with that story? I did. She would tell me all the time that, you know, she knew I was different. Um, and that she knew I was special. I mean, I think now, you know, she definitely realizes 
you know, more so, you know, why I was so different. Um, but even, you know, with my career and all the things that I'm doing now, none of those things were uh, what I thought I'd be doing with my life growing up. I actually wanted to be an attorney. And so uh, for most of my life, my parents thought that's what I was going to do. So to be in a totally different space um, there, they were surprised for a bit, but I think now they're like, no, you know, like, it's really not a surprise. Like you were always different. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she does, she tells me that story all, all the time. I love that. Now you have recently posted when Beyonce came out with her new album. Y'all know I love Beyonce. <laughs> um, but you have posted church girl has us all in a trance and I'm here for it. Sending so much love to the church girls and even more to the preacher kids. Our journey is different. Unlearning because this process is layered, but we deserve to be free. And I really love that. And that really resonated with me because I was not necessarily raised in the church. My mom was Catholic. We went to church probably on like Ash Wednesday, Christmas, you know, Easter, (laughs) but I was not raised in the church. However, I am raising my children in the church and myself and my husband were both ministers in our church. And one thing for me is that I I loved how you said your parents exposed you to both uh, religions, both spiritualities and let you choose. I feel like I got the option to choose what I believed in. And so that's something that I really want for my children is, of course, I have my certain expectations for them or my desires for them. But more than anything else, like my desire is for them to choose certain things. You know what I mean? Not just to be forced in it. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about that post and your feelings towards it. And particularly for us parents who are religious in whatever aspect, like how do we nurture our children's spiritual side or a person's spiritual side and allow them to be free? Yeah. So going back to to what I was saying about my parents being young, right? And while you can grow and change at any age, I think that when your parents are younger and you're experiencing their their life and their transitions with them, if they can, you know, as, as parents you should be open to communicating with your child like when those journeys are happening to decide like for themselves, is this a journey that you want to go on with? Right. And so um, when my parents split, um, my mom was very adamant about letting me be exposed to both religions, as I said. And so uh, I think at about five years old, I made the decision that I wanted to be Christian. I wanted to get baptized, uh, but I was doing both. I was going to the masjid with my father. I was going to Juma on Fridays and on Sundays I was going to church with my mother. Uh, but I found community at church, uh, and it was it was a place that I loved, and I still love, even though I you know I no longer go to the church. And um, my mom was just very adamant about me knowing that you know even though you know I decided to be Christian, that you know I could still love my dad, I could still support my dad. He still supported me. At some point, I became a praise dancer, like in church growing up, and he would come to the you know to to me see me praise dance. You know, and so he was supportive and so was I. When I stayed with him out of respect, I would still go to the masjid, you know, and I would still cover up when I went. So I was just raised with that of just, you know, understanding that, like, even though we're different, that it's okay. And um, as I got older, my mother became a pastor. And so then at that point, there was a shift. But even in that, my mother was still very adamant on letting me be a kid, right? Um, uh, as As a teen growing up in church, I started dating in church, you know, because of, you know, being, having a parent that's a preacher's kid. You really don't have many places that you go. You go to church and you go to school. Like, that's about it. Um, because I was always at church. And so at that point, you know, I started to have people that were very judgmental about who I was and how I should dress and, you know, what I should be doing. And my mother was, you know, very adamant about telling them my daughter is 13. just like everybody else's daughter is 13, you know. And, you know, she was, you know, always affirming of me. And you know, she definitely had rules. And, 
you know, and just different things that she wanted from me again in terms of like the be, be a lady and all that other stuff, right? Like, um, which now at this point I'm like, mom, like, what does being a lady even mean? Like, what does femininity mean? You know, mean? just like all of those things that we're, you know, we're talking about now. Um, but but I, I slowly but surely feel like I'm turning her into a feminist. So I'm very proud to see, you know, where she's, you know, where she's at. But at the time, you know, it was very difficult, you know, being a preacher's kid of having, uh, you know, all of these expectations of who you, you know, who you are, who you should be. And, and I was not only a preacher's kid, but my godfather was also the pastor of the church. Uh, so there was a lot of expectations, a lot of, you know, pressure on what kind of person I should be when you don't even really know yourself that well, like at that age. Right. Um, and so it, it was very difficult, but my mom was supportive. And um, I think that because she let me know that it was okay to be you know, young, like when all of my other friends were going to rap concerts, I got to go, you know, there was a, there was a concert that would happen every year. Cause I'm, I'm from the East coast called summer jam and it was on Sunday. And so like, that was like blasphemy. Like you're going to a rap concert <laughs> on a Sunday. And my mom was like, yeah, I'm going to let her go. She's young. You know, like I want her to have fun, you know, because if I tell her she can't, and then she has to wait until she's an adult, by the time she's an adult, she won't even know the people on the lineup because they'll all be, you know, doing something else. And so she let me, you know, let me do that. Let me be myself. Uh, you know, again, she was very strict, but, you know, she she still let me have fun. And so I, I look back at my childhood and even in those times where church was difficult. And then I had my dad on the other uh, on the other side, like, man, F those church people. They're just <laughs> judgment. <laughs> you know, because like he was, you know, he was Muslim and also had a lot of family, you know, raised in church. So he had his own opinions and he would come and pick me up from choir rehearsal, blasting his music. And I'd be like, you need to turn that down. And he's like, I'm not listening to this crap. Like I'm doing what I want, you know? So I, I had a very balanced childhood in that aspect. Right. And I'm, I look back in retrospect and I'm so grateful for that, that uh, my parents were their full selves. And so I think that with that example, right. Of them both being like, this is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. Uh, it gave me the confidence to, you know, to, to do that for myself. And so it was a really good experience. But but on the flip side, church can still be very traumatic. Mm -hmm. Right. Or they were any religious you know, institution for that matter or any type of organization. I think where you have corruption or where you have, you know, patriarchy, because the world in itself is a patriarchy, mm. you know, patriarchal society. Speak on it. So as a woman, as a girl, right, forming forming yourself. Right. As you're being formed and you're listening to all of these opinions of like what it is for a woman you know, to be virtuous, to be pure, to be all of these things. Um, the older I've gotten, you know, even through a wellness lens, I feel like it can actually be really predatory to have these conversations with little girls about, you know, what it is to be modest and not wearing this to distract men. You know, when you're so when you're so young, you know, this, this sexualizing of our bodies, you know, so it, there's there's so many other, you know, um, things that go into that and how harmful these places can be, you know, for young girls trying to just, you know, discover themselves. But then there's also the other side of, you know, I have I have so much faith and the faith that I have, the relationship with God that I have is so strong. And it wouldn't be that if it were not for church. And so when Church Girl came out, I, I really felt for so many women, you know, who were who were trying to figure out like what it means to, you know, love God, but to also, you know, like want to twerk, want to go out, want to be young, you know. And just and just be yourself because I, I don't think that the church, you know, carves out enough space you know, for, for women to grow up in and just be versus with the men, you know, boys can do whatever in church, you know, they can have babies, they can, they can date multiple girls in the church at the same time. They can, you know, they can do whatever they want. And it's like, oh, well, boys will be boys. And you 
somebody's hand in church and you're a whore, you know, and, and it's, it's difficult, right. To, to be raised in that environment. And so I think uh, what I, what I think is really awesome now about uh, the church and where it's going is that there are many churches doing that work, right. To dismantle those things, to make sure that they're learning, you know, what's appropriate and also unlearning, you know, what isn't, but, but in terms of the safety, because I struggle with that now, you know, while I don't have kids wondering, well, when I have kids, do I want them to be in church as much as I was? You know, probably not. But I also want them to still have faith. I still want them to know, you know, how real God is and, and how, you know, how much he loves us and, you know, what having a relationship with God can do for your life. Because I truly believe that my relationship with God is, is a part of my wellness journey. It's the biggest part, you know, if I'm being honest. Uh, but there is that uncertainty of, you know, will will my kids feel safe in church or will they be traumatized? Will they have to sort through, you know, then um, eat the meat and spit out the bones of, of, of the whole experience? So it's it's layered and I could talk about church trauma and, and all that stuff for, for a long time. But, but I do think that, again, like having my mom there as that shield, right, as that protector of letting me know that it was okay to be young and make mistakes and I didn't have to feel, you know, like I um, had to apologize for who I was to anybody in church. That was, um, it, it was and, and always will be, I think, one of the, the best memories that I have from, from that time. Yeah, I, I love all of that, girl. And it is layered. It's all layered <laughs> because there are so many different experiences. And sometimes it's also hard. You hear certain experiences and then you'd be like, is that what's going on here? And so then you see it, you experience it. You're not sure. People telling you this, you know, it is very layered and nuanced and, and complicated. But one thing that's so valuable to me about what you said is that your mom was an advocate for you. She was an advocate and a shield. And for her to be the pastor and be able to be a shield and say, no, she's a kid, to stand in the way and remind somebody, because I find myself struggle with that sometimes. And it's a very, it, I have to consciously fight these subconscious things that I've been taught, right? So for instance, my 11-year-old she loves hair. She loves nails. She loves to get dressed up. She loves all of it. And she's good at it. Like this girl can do hair. She can do nails. And so one day she put on, you know, she put on the nails and she had on some lip gloss. Like she didn't even have on makeup. It was lip gloss. You know, she's not yet like waxing her eyebrows. None of that. She's still a kid. But for me at a certain point, then she was like, mom, can I buy a ponytail? <laughs> and I was like, girl, this is too much. Like, you, but I realized that for me, I'm experiencing an adult experience thinking like you, you trying to be grown. People are going to look at you a certain way. You can't do that. And for her, she's like, I'm 11 and I'm being 11. Like, what are you talking about? I'm trying to, I'm not trying to be anything but an 11 year old version of me. And this is the 11 year old version of me. And so to me, it's so valuable to hear that a mother can and has the ability to stand as a shield and remind other people, like our children know how old they are, but to remind someone else, she's a child and she can be a child. That is so valuable to me as a parent. And I just, I thank you for that. It's almost like giving me permission to be that because it can be uncomfortable to feel like, how, how do I say this? <laughs> right. Sometimes we worry so much about how do I not hurt somebody else's feelings, but no, protect your child. <laughs> like you ain't even got to worry about their feelings. So I love following you on Instagram, um, on your various platforms. I love listening to you. I hear you talk a lot about the power in transparency. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about your journey um, and how it's come to be all about wellness and transparency. And how did you get here? 
Um, and you know, just tell us a little bit about your journey to wellness and, and the power and transparency. Sure. So I was a very outspoken kid. Um, and that was, you know, something that I, I noticed, especially when I go back to church, uh, honestly, when I hear people talk about how I was as a kid, I, I would almost be embarrassed because they would just tell stories about how you like, you always said how you felt. You were just like, you were three years old, but you had so much personality and so much sass and you were so confident. And uh, for a while I was embarrassed by that because I was, you know, like growing up as a teenager and like seeing other girls who had this like mystique about them. Right. And that weren't, you know, as open. And I, and I didn't, I didn't like that about myself for a while. I didn't have power in it, but it was when I owned it, when I owned that, like the best part of me was this part of me that, um, that is open when I feel safe, because as you mature, you learn that, you know, transparency is, is wonderful, but I feel like it is, it is best protected and nurtured and can thrive in safe environments. Right. Which is, which is why um, I built Transparent Black Girl and Transparent Black Guy and now the collective Transparent and Black. Um, but at the time, I was just very insecure in my transparency. Um, but I started to own it. And I started a wellness journey after some time in college. At some point in my, um, in my childhood, um, my, my father uh, was incarcerated. And so at the time, he, he went to prison. I was starting school. And I went through a lot of depression, social anxiety, I gained weight, I was just not in a good space. And I started going to therapy and it changed my whole life, started going to therapy. And then at that point, uh, from there, I started writing. And one of the words that people used to describe my writing was transparent. They were like, I love your transparency. It was like what I was hearing constantly. Um, and so at that point, just always having community in mind. I decided that I wanted to create a community where other Black women felt like it was okay to be transparent and to be there for themselves. And, uh, and in hindsight, what I realized is what I was writing uh, was a wellness journey, but I didn't think that. I just thought I was getting my life together, to be honest, because I, I didn't necessarily have the language of wellness at that point. Like, I don't, I don't know if like 10 years ago, uh, people that, that look like mm -hmm. us anyway were like, I'm going on a wellness journey. <laughs> like, I don't know if that was a thing. I, I think you had your like Erica Badu aunties and like, you know... Maybe your uncle would dress that like smoke weed. <laughs> like outside of that, you know, there was like uh like a big community of people that were like advocately mm -hmm. pushing, you know, uh illness. But I but I started and um I was just working and just on my on my you know journey of working on myself. And then I had a a write-up in this magazine and it was like 10 wellness influences you should follow. And I was like, I'm a wellness. Like, okay. Like, I thought I was just, you know, living my life. And so at that point, I felt empowered. And as Transparent Black Girls community started to grow, I made a conscious decision that if we were going to do anything on the platform, that we were going to encourage Black women to heal. Uh, at that point, there were all of these empowerment brunches and mixers and entrepreneur connection events. And all those things are wonderful. Uh, but I felt like if we are suffering with imposter syndrome, if we're healing from if we're, if we're not addressing trauma that we need to heal from, we're not going to have the confidence to assert ourselves in these spaces, right? To, you know, go after the things that are important to us. And so I felt like if I had the attention of all these Black women, well, we were going to heal together. And so that's what I started uh, with Transparent Black Girl. Um, and almost five years later, you know, we have three brands. And um, it's just been a beautiful journey. But none of it was planned, not by me anyway, certainly by God. Um, but But I think that it's been such a cool journey to just, have organically started something that turned into a brand. You know, I know what we're in this like girl boss era, right? Where everyone's like strategically 
you know, like planning and rebranding themselves as business owners. And I, and that's great. But it was it was a very organic journey. And I think that that it has been my greatest uh, reminder that like when you be your, like when you're when you decide to be yourself and you decide to like walk in the fullness of that, that, you know, so many blessings uh, pour in. So that is that's the journey of how all this got started. I really love when you talk about easing into wellness, especially because for parents, I think that a lot of us struggle with imposter syndrome on several different spectrums. Um, expectation of others, right? Like how people think we should look when we're parenting, how people think our children should behaving and acting. And I think we are coming into a period where wellness and wellness journey is not just for adults, but it's also for parents. And it's also something we're trying to instill in our children. And we're a lot, we're becoming a lot more focused on like the whole child, not just how they behave, not just their academics, but actually how they feel and what they're learning and how they're learning to cope with things or meet challenging experiences. And when I hear you talk about wellness, when I hear you talk about like easing into wellness, how do we ease into wellness. And I, and let me give a little more framework for my question because it has been my experience as a parent and my experience working with parents that a lot of our struggles as parents actually has nothing to do with parenting and nothing to do with our child and everything to do with the, the struggle we're, we're feeling not meeting society's expectations. When we can gain wellness as a person, we become better parents and we find more ease in parenting. So how can we find more ease? How can we ease into wellness? Yeah. So, well, first, thank you so much for breaking that down for me. I think with ease, right, especially as it relates to parenting, because while I don't have kids, um, a lot of my friends do at this point. And so I've seen all of them, you know, have so many different perspectives on parenting but also all have these feelings of like, am I a good mom? Am I there for my kids? Do I support them? You know, um, and so I think that if you're easing into something, right, I, I'm an advocate, a huge advocate for easing into wellness because I think in, in itself, wellness can be very intimidating, especially to people like us that have not had access, you know, whether, uh, you know, systemically and environmentally, uh, mentally, emotionally, financially, there are so many barriers. I think that's what we first have to, first have to acknowledge to wellness for people that look like us. Um, if you are a mom that lives in an inner city with lack of access to you know, clean water, fresh air, finances, it is going to be very different for you to form a wellness journey than for you know, a mom that's making over $100,000 a year that's living in the suburbs with a, with a partner that's also making that much money, if not more, right? Like, well, your wellness journey is going to look a little different. And so that's where ease comes in, where you ask yourself like, what makes me feel well? Because it's a very personal journey. And like, what moments can I take for myself to have gratitude and the person that I am right now? While also acknowledging that I'd like to have, you know, implement other things into my life that can help to make me feel, you know, feel good, feel well. So, you know, asking yourself, like, is my child happy? Like, you know, and, and not happy through the lens of I'm looking at this other Instagram mom that's doing all of these cool things with her kids that might not even have a job, you know, outside of making cool things with her kids. And that's fine, right? That that could be her job too. I know influencers that are moms that work full time, but their lifestyles and what they can do for their children looks very different from the mom with a job, right? Or has, or has multiple children. So asking yourself, are my kids happy? Are they whole? Am I spending time with them? 
Am I nurturing them and giving them what they need? Not this cute Instagrammy lunch that I saw that looks so amazing that I probably don't have time to make every day, right? Am I taking care of myself? Am I modeling self-care for my kids? Am I showing my kids, you know, what it means to take care of yourself? Um, I think about that so often now with, you know, thinking about motherhood, you know, and thinking like, well, how am I going to model self-care for my kids? How am I going to show them that taking care of yourself first is key? I saw my mom, you know, go to the hair salon growing up, but I didn't see her meditate. I didn't see her, you know, stretch or work out on a daily basis, um, you know? Um, and so how can I model that for myself? How can I prepare myself for that now? I think that's something that because you're already a mom, like just asking yourself, like, how do I model self-care for my kids? How do I model wellness for my kids? And allowing yourself to ease there. So maybe you don't have this, you know, grand experience where you join Pilates and you're, you know, putting chlorophyll in your water every day and making fresh press smoothies. But maybe you're getting up a little earlier, taking care of yourself and showing your kids that self-care is important, encouraging them to do the same. Maybe you're meditating you know, if not, if you don't have time to go for, you know, a workout in the morning, maybe you're taking some time before you get back in the house, you know, to like get your workout in or take that time. It's just those those little things, um, because I think in general, like fully and fully embarking on a wellness journey, it is it's a process that I think is ongoing. I think you're always going to be learning and unlearning. And so it's just important to be gentle with yourself with that, um, because I, I feel like often now because wellness and healing, there are these words now that have become so popular, people can often often feel intimidated to, to the journey as, as a whole and feel like if they don't have this yoga outfit or have this plant or have this smoothie or, or read these five books that everyone is suggesting, then they're not well, you know? Um, and I, I just don't believe that. I'm, I, I, I feel, especially as it relates to black and brown people, that we are, you know, we're a traumatized people, right? And and especially in 2020, we acknowledge on a deeper level how traumatized that we are. And so if we're traumatized, but also very different, you know, uh, because I fully believe that we're not a monolith, then neither are our wellness practices, right? They should all be different. We should all feel free to explore wellness in the ways that feel good, you know, for, for us. And so I think that as a parent, like easing in and asking yourself, like, what makes me feel well? What makes me feel happy? How am I modeling wellness for my kids? How am I taking care of myself? Um, and then just also like checking in with you more, like remembering that like before all of these kids, right? Uh, before your family, like you're a person, you're a person that needs love and, you know, love and care too. And that uh, as you learn to prioritize yourself more and whatever, you know, ways that, that feel good for you and your children will remember that, you know, they'll remember that, you know, that they were raised by you know, a mom that, yes, she had a family, but she also took care of herself, you know, too. My mother, uh, she wasn't big on meditation and working out and everything like that, um, but she took trips. She would go on vacation all the time, and she didn't always bring me with her, and she was very adamant about, you know, exploring, and so now that I'm at an age where I have friends that are like, I don't want to know if I want to go out with my kids. I'm like, girl, live your life. Like, that's a form of wellness, too, and I now look at my mom through such a, you know, such a lens of just being proud of her as a person that she knew even at a young age that while I have a kid, I also have to make time for myself. Like all of those things, right, that, that we do for ourselves, those moments where we prioritize ourselves, they, they are in itself extensions of wellness. We just have to see it that way. That is so powerful. I love it. And I, I teach a parenting course, and actually the first module is you're a person before a parent. 
I just think that is the most important part is remembering that you are a person before a parent. And when your identity like rests in your parenthood, the person fades away. And it's so important. There are so many things that are just really powerful because it is true. And I so often hear people talk about gentle parenting or conscious parenting being less accessible for for people of color and marginalized communities because we don't have the same access to certain things. And I find that with myself. I've been practicing certain techniques and tools with children for 20 plus years, not not as a parent, but as a teacher who became a parent. I, I think about it, you know, my son broke his arm one day and I just kept thinking like, God, if I didn't have medical insurance, I wouldn't approach this the same way. Like if I did not have certain resources, I couldn't do this. And even when I'm just emotionally and mentally tired, I don't have patience to walk through all of the scripts that we hear or read. And if, like you said, if you're working full time, you don't have time to read all the books. And it is so important that we develop, you talked about kind of a spectrum of wellness, right? Like different things that work for each individual. And I think that is extremely powerful and something that I want to highlight because a lot of us don't have examples of people who practice self-care growing up. They don't necessarily have full examples of wellness. And we do just kind of have social media. Like for a lot of people, social media is the teacher. So if all you see is the smoothies and the Pilates, but you can't get to those things or don't like them, I don't like Pilates, (laughs) then you're kind of screwed. And to know that there are other things you can do to practice wellness, to practice self-care is important. And the the last thing, I tend to share too much, I'm sorry. (laughs) But one thing that what you were talking about brought up for me was a recent therapy session that I had with my therapist where she asked me, she's like, schedule in your self-care. What are you going to do this week? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a walk at a park one day and I'm going to write in my journal one day. And then she's like, okay, but what happens if you can't get to the park? Like if you don't have anybody to watch the kids, what are you going to do? And what happens if you're too tired and you can't get around to journaling? And at first I was kind of like annoyed with her. And I'm like, what you mean? What if, like, why are you doing this? I just gave you a plan. Why are you coming back at me against my plan? But what I realized is that she was realistically looking into the lifestyle of a mom and saying like, those plans are great and that's fantastic. Write it down, schedule it, but also have a plan for something that is more accessible to you, not in terms of financially accessible or anything like that. Just if you can't get someone to sit with the kids, if you can't get out the house, if you have a night where they're awake till 10 PM, like in those moments, what is your plan? And so I love having multiple avenues and multiple ways to practice self-care. You talked about planning for motherhood in the future and how you'll plan to model self-care. What for you, in what ways do you plan to model self-care as a mother one day? Yeah, um, I plan to model self-care, honestly, as as holistically as I can. You know, like I think in general, like who I am now, I, I look at the mothers in my life, my mother, my friends that are parents, extended friends that I've met on social that I've also developed a bond with. And I've seen that the happiest mothers are mothers that still pour into themselves and that still get up every day and work out, you know, and still, you know, find time for themselves. And it might not be at 5 a.m. because you have two kids, right? But maybe it's at nine o'clock at night when your kids are asleep. Um, or, you know, maybe it's, you know, you waking up a little bit earlier and I'm sure every day doesn't look the same for all of them. Um, but my friends that are still them, like I look to them and I really admire that um, because I've also seen people that have children and they forget about themselves, you know, and, and they don't prioritize themselves. And one thing that my mother always talks to me about 
is how like whenever the NBA draft is like called and the guy is like, shout out to my mom. That's always there for me. Mom is like looking beat down sometimes, like, you know, not really dressed nice. And she's like, no, like when they, when they put the cameras on me, I want to still be looking good. I want to still be, you know, a person that's taking care of themselves. So, you know, I hope that my, my kids see me, you know, every day consciously taking care of myself, you know, eating things that are good for me. Uh, because my family has had um, had a history of eating disorders. So like having a healthy relationship with food, a neutral relationship with food, you know, so that way they're not traumatized, you know, that they see me just in, enjoying my life and, and know that they can, you know, be happy and healthy people. And that they see me meditating, that they see me having those moments of stillness. So that way they can, you know, do the same, you know, now like with my little cousins, like I meditate with them, they do yoga with me. Um, and it's so cool to see that, that they're, you know, learning to model the same behaviors that, that I am. And I certainly want to raise individuals. Like, I don't want my kids to feel like they have to be exactly like me, you know, but I do want them to, you know, prioritize care. So that's honestly what I hope I see them, you know, do and that they know that I'll be there for them. You know, even if, even though my life will probably be busy, you know, even though I'll probably be working uh, because I, I don't I don't intend to have any mom guilt. Honestly, I intend to live my life. Uh, because I don't know if I've ever heard a dad guilt before. I feel like men are just allowed to just do whatever. And we're feeling guilty about like missing something. But but I hope they see me, you know, being a full person and know that I'm their mom, but I'm also a woman. Yes. Dad guilt is not a thing. I blame patriarchy. And I could go into that for a whole other episode. Like, girl, that is a whole series right there. Let's talk about mom guilt versus dad guilt. But I love that you are already rejecting the idea of mom guilt. It makes life so much easier. <laughs> I feel like for women, like you said, because we live in such a patriarchal society, we have to, right? That already I'm having conversations with people and they're like, oh, you got to do this before you have kids, before you have kids. And I'm like, wait a minute, like, no, I can do these things, you know, with kids. So it's, it's on my mind for, for sure. I love that. It's so important. And it took me, it took me a long time to realize that. Like I had mom guilt with my first couple of children. And it was heavy. It was heavy. Like I couldn't even go out to dinner with friends without feeling like I had to order something to bring back to them because I wanted, you know, it was just, it was really bad and gave me a lot of anxiety. And then I realized one day I'm like, I, d I never want my children to feel like this. Like I don't feel good. I became a parent wanting to enjoy motherhood and wanting to enjoy my children and wanting to enjoy my life. Like I'm very big on living life by design and I by design have a lot of children. I always wanted them. But I did not envision myself not enjoying parts of it. And I felt like, why should I not be enjoying the life that I designed for myself? This is crazy. And I never want my children to feel this way. So I have to be the one to show them that you don't have to feel this way. If you feel this way, change something <laughs> and do something different. And like you said, taking care of yourself, prioritizing yourself, still tending to the person you were before having children, it is allowed. It's acceptable and it's necessary for you to continue enjoying your life. And I, I really appreciate you kind of giving permission to people. Cause unfortunately we still live in a world where everybody feels like they need someone else to give them the permission. And so hearing someone else says it sometimes allows them to give themselves that permission to start practicing the prioritization of self. And you, you also talked about the importance of eating well in front of them meditating in front of them, working out in front of them. And I know that I've also seen some of your posts talking about the toxicity of diet culture and weight loss culture. And I recently found myself telling my children one day, 
you know, I think somebody made a comment about weight. I don't remember what it was. Might have been something on TV and they kind of made a comment. And I realized how heavy society is in raising my children also, right? Certain things that I don't even bring into the house they're going to get. And I kind of looked at them and I'm like, y'all, you don't even know what your body's going to look like yet. Like <laughs> y'all are children and you don't know. We have one side of the family that they are legs and hips and body, body, body. And then we have another side that there's no curves. Right. And so they don't know what they're going to get. They don't know if they're going to be thick. They don't know if they're going to be small, curvy, whatever. And I'm, for me, it's more important that they love their body, like regardless of what it looks like. I just want them to love their body. So I would love to hear from you how, how that developed for you, a healthier relationship with food and working out as opposed to the end result of like what most people are working for in a way where I can share that and translate it into my household for my children. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the heaviest parts of my childhood, honestly, was, you know, my relationship with my body. Uh, my father has an eating disorder. And so um, ha him having an eating disorder growing up, uh, I didn't have the language. Uh, you know, again, we're, we're learning so much, right, you know, as, as we age and as we're having more conversations. But I didn't have the language to know that he had an eating disorder. I just knew that he was very critical of his weight. And so he was then, in response, very critical to mine. I'm five, two and a half. And I've been this way since middle school. I have not gotten any taller. Um, and I um, always had a very mature body. Like I look back at photos and like in seventh grade, I had the body of a grown woman. Um, and so my father uh, at that point was nervous, you know, because at that point he felt like, well, this is, this is her body now. Like, is she only going to get bigger? You know, and so there were a lot of conversations about what I ate, the food I took, but I didn't see them have you know, a healthy like workout regime. I didn't see them, you know, emphasize, you know, like healthy food. It was just like, we all ate the same stuff. But my, on my father's side, my brother, he had a very fast metabolism. So he was, you know, very, very small. He was a string bean, right? Um, versus me, I was, you know, five, two and a half. And so I was a little chubby. And so he was, you know, very hard on me about my weight. I've spent so much of my life trying to figure that out. And so it was difficult. Um, but thankfully, my mother, you know, she was, you know, definitely, uh, again, a shield in that too. Um, she took me to see a movie. I'll never forget. It was like a random night. Uh, she picked me up from school and she was like, we're going somewhere. And she took me to see where women have curves. And so that was, you know, again, a beautiful part of my childhood. My mother always, you know, trying to affirm me and always trying to make up for whatever I was experiencing at the time. But it is, it is, it's been a journey. It's a journey, honestly, that I'm still learning and I'm learning and discovering myself on. And in that, through therapy, through me getting to a place where I understand both sides, because while there is definitely harm in diet culture and harm in weight loss culture, there also is a conversation needed to like want to live a healthy life, right? And making sure that you're eating foods to fuel your body and making sure that you live as long as possible. So I, I think that there is room for both conversations, but unfortunately, because we live in such a fatphobic society, um, it can be hard for many people to even hear conversations about weight loss, you know, and health, because often children who have, you know, have slower metabolisms or just in general or are, are bigger than other children, they have from a very young age had conversations about working out and weight loss. And so then you become an adult who doesn't have a good relationship with exercise because you look at it as punishment. Versus maybe if you were raised in a household with parents who worked out every day, who ate well every day, you know, you wouldn't look at it as something as like, oh, this is what people that do that have to lose weight. You would look at it as like, oh, everybody has to work out. Everybody 
has to eat well. You know, everyone should feel themselves. And so I think about that now. Um, and, and even in terms of like having a neutral relationship with food, um, there was so much uh, growing up for me of like, oh, you can't eat carbs. You can't eat this. You can't eat that. Versus, you know, looking at food through like, well, this food makes you stronger. This food may make you a little sleepy, you know. Um, and then just also being mindful of like body sensation. I spoke to a food nutritionist uh, recently. Her name is Dr. Kira, the black nutritionist on social media. And she talks about how she tries to focus on body sensation with her son. And so with that, instead of telling him, oh, you can't have this chocolate milkshake, it's bad for you, right? It'll make you gain weight or, you know, sugar isn't good for you. He'll have some and then she'll ask him, well, like, how do you feel after that? And then he'll, you know, she said, he said to her one time, you know, well, after I had a little bit too much, my head hurt and I was feeling sick. And so then at that point, he didn't want to eat it anymore, right? And so I think that uh, I decided from that point between my own experiences, talking with my father as an adult, you know, understanding that it was unfortunately something that happened to him as well, that my grandfather was really hard on me about his weight, is making a conscious choice that I really had to unlearn a lot of stuff, you know, before I had kids. And I'm asking myself mentally, like, what kind of parent do I want to be? Like, how do I want my children to feel about their bodies? And again, in terms of that, like modeling wellness, modeling self-care, if I'm a person that's getting up every day that I'm, you know, I'm living a balanced life, like, yeah, I'm going out to dinner, I'm, you know, eating pizza when I want or whatever, but I'm also a person that's every day getting up and taking care of myself, then hopefully my children will follow that, right? Because they'll see that as, as, the, as the norm. They won't see exercise. They won't see, you know, green juice or whatever. They won't see those things as strange or, or, or dieting. They'll see that as something that everyone does. And so I, I think that ho- hopefully my, my greatest prayer is that between what I model for them, the conversations that we have, of course, because you can't help society, you know, you're going to always have those outside influences. But my greatest prayer is that through that, you know, they'll be okay, you know, and that they'll, that they'll know that everyone has a different perspective. You're going to go into the world and everybody will be different from you. But, you know, that what they see in their home, you know, um, rings true to them and that they'll have that as, as an example that they won't forget. That's beautiful. And for me, the part that you talked about the relationship that you have with something and how feeling like it's a punishment, how that affects the relationship. And I think that's such a powerful thing when it comes to overall, when it comes to parenting, because a lot of us want progress and instead we just punish. There's punishment involved over the progress. And when we do that, we are destroying the relationship that the child has with whatever the thing is, whether it's food, working out, academics and homework. And so I love that you spoke on that to remind us to try to nurture and develop the relationship to make the relationship healthy, whether that's a relationship with people, like I said, a relationship with school, food, working out, self, to nurture the relationship rather than trying to punish them for not progressing the way that we want them to. I just love that. Yasmin, I love having you here. I feel like I could learn so much from you. I have a personal request that you just start a podcast one day if you don't already have one because... You are the type of person that I, I would listen to. And I would also love to have my children listen to you and learn from you. And so I'm just so thankful for you in general, your being, your presence, your transparency, and being able to share that with all of us. Uh, And you are someone I just want to let you know, and all of our listeners, like, when I say I homeschool my children, these are some of the ways in which I homeschool them. Like, I will have them listen to people like you, to learn from people like you, because I think it's important for them to see real people and learn from real experiences. And so 
I want you to know that you are impacting my life and my children's life so much and changing the trajectory of our life and really supporting us and supporting me and raising my children. And so I just want to say thank you. I like to give my listeners homework each week because I am a teacher. So if you could give us homework to do this week, what would the homework be? Sure. I would think that the homework should be for you to ask yourself, are you prioritizing yourself as a parent? And what are you modeling for your children? I think that when parents, uh, you know, when you become a parent, you have all of these expectations naturally for what you think your kids should be, what you want their life to be like. But I think we should all take a step back and ask yourself as a parent, you know, what am I modeling for them? What are things much like what I've shared with you in this time that my children will remember 20, 30 years later that helped to shape them? You know, Um, so just thinking about that, because those are the things that will matter more than, you know, how you want them to dress, what activities you want them to be a part of. If they have perfect attendance, you know, all of those things won't won't really matter. They won't remember them, but they'll remember, you know, the things that just that help to shape their well-being. Awesome. Thank you. And Yasmin, tell us where we can find you, how we can support you, um, or any last things that we need to know about you. Sure. So you can find me at Yasmin Jamila across all social media platforms and all of my brands are are linked there. So that way you can explore. And if you are a black woman, you can follow Transparent Black Girl, which is our safe space for black women to heal, own power and ease into wellness. Or And if you're a black man or if you love or know a black man, you know, um, tell them to follow Transparent Black Eye. And then there's also our collective. So you can find all of those pages on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much, Yasmin. I have enjoyed having you. Friends, I know you loved her. If you're not already following her, which I'm sure you are, follow her, support her, spread the word. And I love that you have something for men now because it's needed. And I know I'm about to go text my husband right now. (laughs) So thank you so much, Yasmin. Parenting for the Culture is executive produced by Cody and Tommy Oliver. Our senior producer is Crystal Hill. Art is by Koi Madison. Parenting for the Culture is a Black Love Podcast Network production. 